Perfected samsara and nirvana in the state of Dharmakaya tree. Met Mosera, stainless light at your feet, I pray. Grant your blessings so that I may realize the natural state, the true nature of mind. Good evening and welcome. Kevin, how are you tonight? Barbara, nice to see you. Anya, what's going on? Morgan, hello. Lori, greetings. Mary Beth, welcome. Liz, good evening. Cynthia, how are you? Chris, how's it going? Henrietta, hi there. Rock, Rock the Rock. Emily Artecos, thank you. Eric, you have a little bit of feedback when I hear you anyway in the audio. Is it? Oh, wait, it went away. Okay, we're good. Oh, cool. It's back. Are other people hearing that? It was when you plugged your headphones in. It's just a little bit of like a buzz. Have you updated your Zoom? app lately i have not it's <laughs> a good idea <laughs> yeah they just released a new update and it was very buggy until mm. I, so very buggy weird freaking world huh <laughs> very buggy sounds like a so you're saying the new that, that the update made it worse Mary Beth or made it better no the update made it better and I think the update's been out for about a week and today if you I don't know I did like eight sessions if you didn't have the update it was very buggy so oh I haven't noticed it okay thanks and Derek how are you today oh you know what? I feel good this evening. I took a, a ten, a nine-minute nap. That helped a Sounds lot. Okay. <laughs> good. Changes everything. Yeah, I feel like a new person, sort of, maybe. You are. You are right. <laughs> Except not really, since you're not really. <laughs> but person, but I might be new. Right. Every moment. Anyway, um, hey ho. Uh, so, 
Uh, tonight we continue with our uh, jaunt through the treasury of the precious treasury of philosophical systems by the omniscient Long Chenpa, Rob Jampa. And uh, we continue with the walk in the park of the five paths that we began last week. And my records show that tonight we start on uh, 193 with the path of rinkage. I have consensus so far. Right. It appears that the reason to meet again is that uh, there's a section that we won't make it to tonight in the five in the path of no more learning. And then next week begins the majority of the book, which is on Vajrayana. <laughs> would have thought in a philosophical system book. Okay, uh, 193, the explanation of the second path that the linkage has two aspects, of course, foundation and its nature. The foundation of itself is also twofold. The physical foundation can be the circumstances of beings in any of the five classes and the mental foundation can be any one of six stages of meditative stability. Six stages of meditative stability. Anybody know the note that must leave out a couple of formless uh, absorptions. The nature of this path is discussed in relation to three things. Its cause, result, and its essence. It's caused the Mahayana path of accumulation that preceded it. And its results, skipping the quote, is the three subsequent paths of seeing, meditation, and no more learning. No more school. What is it in what it is in essence can be examined from four points of view, which will be discussed in turn its characteristics, that which is characterized in analysis those characteristics and the particularly distinctive features. As to his characteristics, those positive factors included the Mahayana that occur once the Mahayana path of accumulation has been completed and been completed before the path of seeing are the basis for what can be characterized and appropriately designated the path of linkage. Skipping to the next paragraph, we analyze this path, we find that there are four phases meditative warmth, the peak experience, patient acceptance, and the highest mundane experience, the four stages of the path of linkage. One cultivates five governing powers during the two phases of warmth and peak, and five strengths during the two phases of patient acceptance and highest mundane experience. Skipping the quote, to be specific, the five governing powers are confidence, diligence, mindfulness, meditative absorption, and sublime knowing. How one cultivates these in meditation is as followed. Having aroused bodhicitta, one meditates with conviction, for one has confidence in one's understanding of permanence and the other aspects of the four truths, or in one's understanding of all phenomena of samsara and nirvana from the perspective of the two levels of truth. With diligence, one meditates enthusiastically, and with meditative absorption, one focuses one pointedly. 
Finally, with sublime knowing, one understands the true nature of things. The term governing power refers to what encourages complete refinement. Meaning the, the complete refinement of those same five uh, qualities. Excuse me, Derek. Yeah. I'm having a lot of trouble hearing, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's on my end. I, I can barely hear you. Anyone else? There is definitely a little bit of feedback still. Um, maybe just try unplugging your mic and plugging it back in again. It's clear here. Yeah, it's clear, but it's lower in volume also. How's this? I raised the volume. Yes, yes, a little better, I think. Cool. Testing, testing. That seems pretty good. Confidence, mindfulness, absorption, and knowing. How's that? Barbara, can you hear that? That sounds pretty good to me. I'm having a problem, but it could it could be on my end, possibly. So let's I'll I'll do the best I can. Thank you. That was an improvement for me. Good. Uh, skipping the quote, the five strengths, top of 195, after the quote, are those of confidence and so forth as discussed earlier. How one cultivates them is similar to the way in which cultivates the, the governing powers. They're called strengths because they overcome counterproductive factors. Skipping the quote, when one is thus cultivating the four phases of the path of linkage, warmth, acceptance, um, sorry, warmth, peak, acceptance, and highest mundane experience. The timeless awareness that comes about has in essence both an aspect of meditative equipoise, which is completely non-conceptual timeless awareness, and when one arises from that state of post-meditation aspect, which may be either conceptual or non-conceptual. One may ask, doesn't the quotation relying on what is involved with four con kinds of concepts indicate a conceptual process? Oh, where was that quote? He, he refers to a, a line that's not actually quoted. Uh, the 187. This is a... Maitreya, the ornament of manifest realization from the note. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so this is sort of important, so I'm going to ask you to turn to page 442 and check out the note with me. The quotation is from Maitreya's Ornament of Manifest Realization. Of the four kinds of concepts, two involve the perception of external objects. And so these are the... It's, it's, I was uh, surprised that he didn't go over these more directly, but at least it's in the footnote, to involve the perception of external objects, i.e. concepts concerning afflictive states and concepts concerning the state of enlightenment. The other two involve subjective internal perception, i.e. concepts concerning substantial entities and concepts concerning imputed entities. Uh, his, uh, the translator's gloss of these two is very different than uh, what I've seen in other places. 
Vaibhashika system emphasizes the former, whereas the Chittamatra system emphasizes the latter. In this context, it's the mind of a practitioner and path of linkage that is involved with, i.e. capable of entertaining the four kinds of concepts, the reference below to like results proceeding from causes refers to the conceptual mind fueled by these four. Basically, the, there's four kinds of concepts that uh, bind us to samsara. Two of them are related to the objective situation and two are related to the subjective situation. And uh, I think <clears throat> each of the two have to do with the self of persons and the self of phenomena. Not 100% sure about that. But it's a really interesting topic that's rarely mentioned, but it's the heart of the path of linkage, and therefore the heart of what is overcome in order to achieve the path of seeing. So it's sort of a crucial thing, and it's sort of weird that it's rarely mentioned. You mentioned that there is some other sources that you've seen. Can you share any of that, or like what those are? Earl, or are very obscure. Carl Brunholzel, I was about to do that. Carl Brunholzel in his um, three-volume um, exploration of the ornamented manifest realization discusses them. And... Uh, Ongar Rinpoche, in his little commentary to the Ornament and Manifest Realization, mentions them briefly. But uh, it's very rare. If, if, if somebody emails me and asks me, I'll send an excerpt from Carl Brunholzl's text that describes them. And if you can decipher them for us, you, you get a special place on the Christmas tree this year. Thank you for sharing that. Let's see. Um, so he explains this by saying that uh, the timeless awareness that comes about has an essence, both an aspect of meditative equipoise, which is completely conceptual timeless awareness, and one arises from the state, uh, the post-meditation be both conceptual and non-conceptual. One may ask, doesn't this quotation, relying on what is involved with the four kinds of concepts, indicate a conceptual process, but if involved with concepts meant the same as being conceptual. That would mean that somebody wearing a hat was the hat. <laughs> By virtue of being involved with the hat, because the source does not simply say relying on the four kinds of concepts, the situation is one of like results proceeding from like causes. Otherwise, the situation would be at odds with the following passage from the Drops of Nectar, commentary on the famous Tantra, the first Tantra reciting the names of Manjushri. Skipping the quote, for detailed and organized treatment of these foregoing topics, one can consult my text, The Jewel Staircase, which no longer is available in this world realm. Apparently, it's one of many texts of Longchenpa's that did not survive the ages, unfortunately. With regard to the development of these aspects of timeless awareness, which is prajna or jnana, by dividing each anticipatory phase into three categories, so each of the four phases of uh, warmth and so forth, into three degrees, weak, moderate, and strong, we obtain what are called the 12 
anticipatory phases, anticipating the path of seeing, that is. Skipping the quote of these four phases, that a meditative warmth is also termed the attainment of manifestation for an aspect of timeless awareness that arises from a mundane state of meditation and perceives all phenomena to be merely manifestations of consciousness. Sounds like the uh, culmination of the uh, mind-only understanding. slight attainment of manifestation acts as an antidote to the tendency to invest one's perception of objects with ultimate meaning. Timeless awareness, jnana or prajna, people remember. Uh, yes, pra, uh, jnana, okay. Peak experience is also termed increase of manifestation. In order for the foregoing experience of the manifestation of phenomena to increase, one exerts oneself in meditating on their lack of identity and so attains a moderate degree of manifestation that arises from a mundane state of uh, meditation. In order, in order for the manifestation of phenomena to increase, one makes efforts in all ways diligence. The phase of patient acceptance is also termed having a partial glimpse of suchness. So manifestation uh, presumably refers to the appearance of suchness, the appearance of the true nature of reality of suchness. Um, it serves as an antidote to fixation on external objects as though they had ultimate meaning. For it constitutes the utmost attainment of the manifestation that arises from a mundane state of meditation, that of abiding in the experience of mind only. An obscure description of the progression of these stages. Interesting. Derek? Yeah. Um, that uh, stanza up above there from the ornament of the sutras that starts next, having developed in such a way. Um, so it says, um, perceiving, uh, uh, resting in meditative equipoise perceives all objects as mental labels and is absolutely unable to perceive them as having ultimate meaning. So it, perceiving them as mental labels, that's, that's conceptual, correct? It, it's not necessarily a conceptual experience. No. It's experiencing all objects as being of the nature of concepts. Okay, so so it's not the experience that we have of labeling. It is, yeah, labeling. It, it's, but it's, not the experience I have of labeling. <laughs> it's not the process of labeling, but it's the result of labeling. It seems like it's the is it being aware that we are labeling that we are that by labeling we are making a thing of something that's not. Yes, and that all we perceive are when we think we're perceiving objects, we're perceiving our labels, which is why it's important to read the labels. Thank you. 
Uh, let's see the quote on the bottom of the page from the same source, the manifestation of phenomena having increased when abides in the experience of mind only. Then the appearances of all seemingly meaningful objects manifest entirely as mind. At that point, the distraction of perceiving these as objects is eliminated perceiving them as truly existent objects, then everything is subsumed under the sole distraction of consciousness reifying a subject. So after you've understood the emptiness of the object, then you turn towards the, the status of the subject. The highest mundane experience is also termed immediately proceeding, for there's no longer anything intervening between this and the Mahayana path of seeing, rather that is the culmination of the manifestation of phenomena that arises from a mundane state of meditation, which there's no distraction, caused by the tendency to invest the mind's perception of a subject with ultimate meaning. According to the same source at that point, without any obstacle, one swiftly reaches a state of meditative absorption, so turning from the objective state to the subjective experience and seeing the emptiness of the subjective experience. Two phases, meditative warmth and peak, constitute the initial phase of the path of linkage, at which point it's still uncertain when the path of seeing will arise. The phase of patient acceptance is the intermediate phase of linkage, at which point it becomes certain path of seeing will arise in the next lifetime and the highest mundane experience final phase at which point it becomes certain that the path of seeing will arise in this present lifetime distinctive features five of them the distinctive antidote employed among the antidotes that involve a process of elimination is suppression like there are four general categories of antidotes, those that involve confrontation, elimination, providing support, and distancing. Um, the distinctive process of elimination involves the potential for an actual manifestation of the weakening of obscurations and freedom from the kinds of want and deterioration that affect ordinary beings. The distinctive realization through the timeless awareness that arises from meditation is that of the non-existence of both aspects of identity of self and phenomena. For their distinctive qualities, one comes to experience many states of meditative absorption, deep levels of insight, sublime states of perception, supernormal powers, and the like. As for the distinctive superiority of this path over the path of accumulation, although this path may seem similar to the final phase of the path of accumulation, given that both paths arise from meditation, there are differences. This path is closer to the path of seeing, meditative warmth of timeless awareness is more stable, whereas that of the path of accumulation is unstable. Derek, it, so a person who's at this point in this process, yeah. um, I mean, is this essentially the sort of phase in which one is attaining kind of like I mean, attaining and in, in what I understand to be sort of the first version of enlightenment before you go. That's yeah. so. This this is sort of the they're like in there making it happen in this part, right? Yeah, I, in, in my opinion, this is a highly advanced experience. 
path pain is like from our point of view like full enlightenment and uh so the path of linkage is like close to enlightenment right enlightenment is starting to unfold right okay yeah that's a, that's a good point On the next page, 198, the path of seeing, the explanation of the third path that of seeing also has two aspects, the foundation of the path and its nature. The foundation is twofold. The physical is the circumstances of beings in any of the five classes indicated by the sutra passage, which I'll skip. In this context, let's see. Unclouded vision to the attainment of the path of seeing completely pure refers to the timeless awareness of the eighth spiritual level the mental foundation is the fourth state of mental stability fourth absorption state of meditative state is the foundation so in order to experience um, the path of seeing you have to have achieved according to Longchenpa, the fourth level of absorption. Is, is, that, is that true, really? This is uh, true for Longchenpa. He said it, he must be true. So stability is equated with the absorptions? Yeah, look it up in your glossary. Okay. Get back to us, please. Let us know what, what it means. What do you got? Well, well, we'll come back to you. Let us know when you got it. The nature of this path is discussed in relation to three things. And the reason why Cynthia is so upset about this is, is a very good point, is that, uh, for one, the fourth level of absorption is extremely difficult to achieve, particularly these days. And uh, <clears throat> it sets the bar for achieving the path of seeing rather high in terms of accomplishment of meditation. What do you got, Cynthia? Well, actually, what I was going to say is that's, that's not why I was objecting to it. It was not because it's difficult, but because it is so different from what we've been taught um, in that those absorptions are not necessary. And it, it, that's why I was raising the question, not, not that it's just because it's hard. <laughs> no, see, that's the outer reason. The real reason is that it's fucking hard to achieve that. And therefore, you were happy that we were taught the, the alternative. No, no. I mean, I, honestly, I've, I've been taught so many times in so many different ways that it's actually a sidetrack. It, to get too engaged in those absorptions. So I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, yes, I'm lazy, but um, that's not the issue here. It's that, you know, in many traditions, even in the Dzogchen ones, various other places, they, they do tend to set it up differently as Trungpa often did. And I, I know I've heard it different ways, but I was just a little surprised to hear that. If you can find a reference that says that. Yeah, I'm, or us. I think I think if I could just jump in really quick. I think uh, Petrol Rinpoche, uh, like the the vagabond, right, um, mentioned that if you just get focused on that, you end up in the realm of the gods in terms of like your mental state. And so it's so there. I think there's different perspectives on it, but it's all like I think with um, 
the notion of like skillfully putting this back into sort of practice instead of just getting stuck on the absorptions because it's all based on, you know, working with what is arising in your mind thereafter with your meditation and action, I think, right? Interesting. It's a, it's a complex and subtle topic. The nature of this path is discussed in relation to three things, cause, result, and essence. It's cause of the Mahane paths that preceded it. Its result is the two subsequent paths, and its essence can be examined four ways as usual, characteristics, etc. Characteristics of this path are a Mahayana's practitioner's experiences of patient acceptance that brings an understanding of the four truths. So patient acceptance occurs like all over the place. It was a stage in the path of linkage and now it's a key feature of the path of seeing. And then it occurs again and then in other places. Um, Patient acceptance that brings about a subsequent understanding and the subsequent understanding itself. So try to understand those two things. Patient acceptance that brings about a subsequent understanding and the subsequent understanding itself. These can be appropriately designated the Mahayana path of seeing. This path follows the completion of the Mahayana path of linkage and entails those positive factors included in the Mahayana that cause the first step of the transcendent Mahayana path of seeing to arise in one experience. What is being characterized consists of 16 steps with their attendant factors, four steps for each of the four truths, suffering, origin, cessation, and path. These four steps are patient acceptance, so four steps for each of the four truths. Patient acceptance that brings an understanding of the truth in question. The understanding of the truth itself. Patient acceptance that brings a subsequent understanding and the subsequent understanding itself. So there's this really cool uh, progression in understanding each of the four truths. Again, where first you have an acceptance of it called a patient acceptance. Of the, of the truth and then you have an understanding that arises having accepted it and then there's a subsequent under uh, patient uh, a further level of patient understanding and then the subsequent understanding from that I was just okay. reading that uh, noble is like a mistranslation and it's actually more like understanding the four truths instead of the four truths are noble it's that you understand them yeah, that's a an interesting point about the the common way of describing them as the noble truths henrietta just chime right in you don't have to say can i oh uh i was just going to refer to the footnote on um the 202 which refers us to another footnote on page 435 uh, footnote 34 explains patient acceptance in greater detail. Um, You've got to be pretty patient to go along with that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. That's on 435. So this acceptance ushers in an actual understanding of suffering and that one experiences the freeing of one's mind from those aspects of suffering. 
patient acceptance that brings a subsequent understanding of suffering entails an awareness of suffering as it is experienced in the two higher realms of form and formlessness. The first one, I skipped the first sentence. The first one is how uh, suffering is experienced in the realm of desire. So the first two relate realm of desire and then the, the next two to the two higher realms this is acceptance ushers in a subsequent understanding and that one experiences the freeing of one's mind from those aspects of suffering each of these four steps removes certain factors to be eliminated on the path of seeing the same progression applies to the remaining three of the four truths so the usual uh, the scheme that you'll see a lot in this progression through the paths is that there's a, a uh, structure that applies to the realm of desire and then that same structure applies either completely or in part to the realms of uh, form and formlessness so back on 199 um, from the standpoint of the spiritual levels towards the end of that first paragraph this path corresponds to the first level, that of the intensely joyful one. Is that the first boomy? That is the first boomy. Okay. Bingo. Skipping the quote furthermore with the initial attainment of a transcendent state of timeless awareness one experiences enormous joy, more exalted than any previously experienced. And so the term the intensely joyful one is used. Analysis. If we analyze this path, we find that it has by nature 16 steps following the progression of the four truths. 16 steps that relate to the four aspects of each of the four noble truths, making 16 aspects, which we go through in four steps of patient acceptance and so forth. The path has five distinctive features as to its distinctive antidotes. The four steps of patient acceptance that brings an understanding of the truth constitute the process without obstacles that is the antidote that entirely removes even the potential for the functioning of factors that are to be eliminated on the path of seeing the four steps of the understanding itself of the truth constitute the process of complete freedom that is the antidote that addresses the possible reoccurrence of the potential for the functioning of these factors steps of patient acceptance that brings subsequent understanding and the four steps of the subsequent understanding itself constitute the process of distinctive features that is the antidote that distances one from the potential four steps interesting the four steps of understanding the truths of suffering and so forth constitute essentially a single state of mind but can be categorized as fourfold from the standpoint of the truths. Similar situation applies to the states of patient acceptance that brings subsequent understanding and the subsequent understanding itself of the truths. The distinctive process of elimination can be discussed in relation to two things its essence and a classification of the factors being eliminated. The essence of this process is that one becomes free of one's personal share one's personal share of those factors to be eliminated on the path of seeing that is aspects of both afflictive and cognitive obscurations 
uh, quoting from uh, distinguishing between center and extremes, it is shown that there are two afflictive, that there are two afflictive obscurations in Sanskrit, klesha, varana, and cognitive obscurations in Sanskrit, jnaya, varana. Varana is V-A-R-A-N-A, and jnaya is J-N-E-Y-A, and is cognate with the same term as uh, jnana, knowledge or knowing or timeless awareness. Those are the two obscurations. In these lie all the obscurations to enlightenment. When they are exhausted, this is held to be freedom. The essence of these is described in the highest continuum, also by Maitreya. Any concepts of avarice and so forth are considered to be afflictive obscurations, clashes. Any concepts that involve the three focal points of agent, doer, activity, and uh, object or recipient are considered to be cognitive obscurations. To elaborate, avarice and other uh, afflictive states are essentially either negative, causing great disturbance to one's mind, or mutual, oh sorry, neutral, merely, <laughs> merely obscuring. These are afflictive obscurations. Dualistic thought patterns, which involve objects and the subjective agent perceiving them are essentially either positive, yet corruptible, that is, never free of investing the three focal points with true existence, or obscuring, yet neutral. These are cognitive obscurations, unobscuring, yet neutral. So Derek, just to make sure I understand, cognitive obscurations is like any perception of self, like a subject and object would be considered a cognitive obscuration? That's correct. Self, object, and interaction between the two. Any sense of uh, substantial existence, intrinsic existence, true existence, the two types of uh, ego or essence, persons, and phenomena. Belief in those is cognitive obscurations. With respect to these obscurations, conceptual afflictive states are factors to be eliminated on the path of seeing. This is a, a very interesting and a uh, point here. So with respect to the obscurations, the two obscurations are clashes and knowledge or ignorance, clashes and ignorance, right? Um, conceptual afflictive states, ignorance, are factors that are eliminated on the path of seeing. That's when, that's when enlightenment or liberation from samsara occurs you eliminate ignorance about the true nature of phenomena. And that happens on the path of seeing, whereas instinctive states are, are factors to be eliminated in the path of meditation. Instinctive states is an odd term, uh, but he's talking about the states that are governed by the clashes afflictive obscurations. So uh, emotional habit patterns, <clears throat> desire, attachment, aggression, impatience, uh, jealousy, envy, pride, 
things like that. So these are then uprooted on the path of meditation, which comes later, which is an interesting uh, correlation or maybe maybe uh, explanation or a further um, a deepening of the way of understanding the the uh, the way that in the earlier tradition in the Shravaka tradition there's different types of arhats and there's this idea that arhats some arhats still have emotional problems uh, and the idea being that um, they haven't that Arhat maybe can be referring to someone that's understand, has uprooted ignorance, that understands the true nature of reality, but hasn't completely eroded all of the emotional habit patterns accumulated through beginningless time. So a lot of them, the the afflictions are destabilized when we when we understand the true nature of reality, but they're their accumulated momentum or propensities are not instantly um, dispelled but only over time and he's now going to describe that long process using many numerical lists for those of you that like the numerical lists of the cognitive obscurations obvious thought patterns based on dualist perception are factors to be eliminated on the path of seeing, whereas subtler patterns are factors to be eliminated on the path of meditation. The classification of factors involved in the distinctive process of elimination has three aspects. The characteristic of the factors to be eliminated on the path of seeing, an analysis of them, and the way in which they're eliminated. To begin with, these factors are whatever involves conceptual labeling and is antithetical to the path of seeing. The analysis is threefold. If these factors are analyzed from the perspective of what they are, in essence, there are six biased views, desire, anger, pride, ignorance, and doubt. If they're analyzed from the perspective of their counterproductive functions, there are ten. Five are biased views. So he's taken the immediately preceding list that begins with biased views, and he's blowing that out into five types and then he's adding on the same uh, remainder of the list desire anger pride ignorance and doubt which are not views um, so again if they are analyzed from the perspective of their counterproductive functions there are ten five are biased views belief in the reality of the perishable mind body aggregates as the basis or the essence of the self of persons belief in some ideological extreme like permanence or or nihilism, nothingness or God or truth or um, things like that belief in erroneous ideas that the world is going to end on uh, Monday and uh, belief in philosophical views views as absolutes and belief in discipline and deportment as absolutes if I stand on one foot for three years I will obtain enlightenment okay next paragraph these factors are analyzed from the perspective of their scopes a realm of ordinary existence to which they pertain in their counterproductive functions there are 112 
and here's how he gets that. Given that the five kinds of biased views apply to the four truths, as these pertain to the realm of desire, the, the five factors that are not views apply as well, following in the wake of the other five. Thus, there are ten factors for each of the truths, giving a total of forty in the realm of desire. Forty factors to be overcome in the realm of desire. Concerning the four truths and the two higher realms, nine factors apply to each of the truths, anger being absent. So anger, interestingly enough, is eliminated on the path of seeing. Uh, um, sorry, let, let me rephrase that. Anger does not exist in the form and formless realms. The form and formless realms can still be corrupted by the other four clashes of desire, pride, ignorance, and doubt, but not by anger. You can't make it to the higher realms with anger. So let's see, concerning the four truths in the two higher realms, nine factors apply to each of the truths, anger being absent, giving a total of 36 factors for the four truths in the states of meditative stability. Meditative stability meaning the four formless realms or the states that lead to existence in the four form, sorry, form realms, and 36 factors also for the four truths in the realm of formlessness, 36 being nine times four. When these are added together, the total is 112, 40 plus 36 plus 36. Skipping the quote, as to the way in which these are eliminated, one by one, 110, uh, the potential for the functioning of the factors that are to be eliminated in the path of seeing is removed through a process of suppression. First, you got to suppress those those things during the anticipatory phases, and through a process of being uprooted. Then, as the states of understanding and patient acceptance develop with respect to the four truths, to elaborate the patient acceptance that brings an understanding of the four truths serves as the direct cause that initiates this process of elimination. At the same time, the potential for the functioning of the factors that are to be eliminated in the path of seeing is still serving as the cause contributing to the perpetuation of these factors. But with the direct cause then serving as a cooperative condition, the continuity of this potential, the potential for these negative factors, which was present at the same time as patient acceptance, is now interrupted. Without any other nullifying influence uh, being necessary, this potential is eliminated in the first step of the path of seeing. In the second step, owing to an understanding of the Four Noble Truths, the transformation is achieved, and that one is free of the potential for these factors that are to be eliminated. As for the four steps of patient acceptance that bring subsequent understanding, and the four steps of the subsequent understanding itself, these are the antidotes to the corresponding factors to be eliminated. So it seems that the prior paragraph was a, a very convoluted explanation of the suppression of the factors, and now we have the elimination of the factors through subsequent understanding. Um, and they come about in the wake of the two preceding states yeah. of awareness. Yes. Again, these uh, footnotes, I've circled them all because he goes into a lot of 
uh, explaining about this stuff in the footnotes. It's like there's a whole nother book at the back of the. Yeah, yeah. What is it? <laughs> well, two eleven is I, I think is a little helpful. The distinction between the first and second steps of the path of seeing is purely conventional. The transformation that occurs in the second step is not produced by the antidotes to be eliminated. Rather, the antidotes are automatically arrested. Wait, wait, wait. You skipped a word. The transformation oh. that occurs in the second step is not produced by the antidotes. Antidotes, yeah. To be eliminated. Yeah. Rather, the antidotes are automatically arrested, just as the factors to be eliminated are arrested. Then, rather than suppressing them, one is free of the potential for these factors to be to occur. I find the word suppressing to be uh, kind of hard to swallow, I guess. You know, from a Freudian <laughs> point of view. Yeah, and we've all been trained in the Dharma uh, here in the West to to not view the, the path as one of suppression. Yeah. Similarly, we've, you know, just like Cynthia's reaction to uh, the meditative absorption as being the basis for the path of seeing, we've, we've been trained and taught that you don't need to achieve the absorption states in order to achieve enlightenment. Uh, in many ways, Longchamp is giving the very traditional, uh, sort of earlier Mahayana presentation in which these are very common ways of characterizing the path. But he does sort of say, well, uh, the footnote does sort of say that you're not really suppressing. No? I don't know. That was my sigh of relief i guess <laughs> the uh, where he uses the term arrested yeah i guess it it's just you're under <laughs> right <laughs> free of potential to for these factors to reoccur i don't know yeah. is is longchenpa saying here this is what you will go through or have to go through or is he saying more like according to the Mahayana this is how it is categorized and don't ask me if I express this or not it's I'm just here to write the encyclopedia on it I think he's saying uh, this is what you will experience as you this is what everybody experiences as they progress through the these paths. Right. I don't. I don't see he he hasn't provided a different scheme for the five paths in the Vajrayana section, which which might have done the other alternative. Might have said, you know, for the path of seeing in the Vajrayana, you don't really need to suppress. Right. So suppress is generally understood in this case as you temporarily dampen their their strength so that then you can eliminate them. Not, not sort of uh, suppression as in the sense of sort of ignoring things or hiding things or 
I also have to believe that somebody is so far along their path by the time they're at this point that they've done a lot of not suppressing up right. until now. Let's see. I think we're on 201. Do you guys agree? Look at 202. Top okay, of 202. Two. Cool. Yes. Okay, so uh, second full sentence, I think. But with the direct cause and serving as a cooperative condition, the continuity of this potential, which was present at the time of patient acceptance. Now, we did this first paragraph, right? As for the four steps of patient acceptance that bring subsequent understanding and the four steps of subsequent understanding, we did this paragraph. No, we're, we're in the middle of it, I think. Okay. Oh, I see. We, uh, we had 212 and then Henrietta pointed out the, the footnotes. So after 212 footnote, they ensure freedom from the potential for the functioning of the factors that are to be eliminated and make their possible reoccurrence increasingly remote. So we haven't accomplished the complete path of seeing yet. We're, we're in the process of accomplishing it. So um, there is a possibility of reoccurrence at this point. Furthermore, from the perspective of the steps associated with each of the four noble truths and their respective factors to be eliminated, these steps of patient acceptance and understanding function as antidotes to these distorting factors and succession. From the perspective of one's experience of timeless awareness, this path is classified as the path of seeing because one sees what one has not previously seen. The sun, the sun of basic goodness. And uh, doing so during the two phases when the patient acceptance of the four truths occurs, the process without obstacles and the process of complete freedom. When factors to be eliminated during these steps are still potent forces, they're suppressed in the presence of the indirect cause, timeless awareness. When they have thus been rendered less powerful They've been paralyzed. They're further weakened in the presence of the direct cause. When timeless awareness is actually experienced, as opposed to being in the presence of timeless awareness when you're actually in timeless awareness, the factors to be eliminated are simultaneously arrested along with any potential for their reoccurrence. The experience of timeless awareness further serves as the antidote that ushers in the process of complete freedom, which makes the possible reoccurrence of the factors to be eliminated increasingly remote. <laughs> what a complicated explanation of the process of enlightenment. And this, uh, this like highly technical formulaic way. It's not a lot of joy or excitement involved in this description. <laughs> it's very sort of scientific textbook wrote, sort of like chemistry or something. It seems like the funny part is that it seems so completely opposite to self-liberation and all that, you know, all of that. So is the sense that that is something that is only true after the path of seeing, perhaps, when all of this... Uh, 
You lost me. Self-liberation? I don't understand. Well, as you were talking about, never mind. It's just, you know, it's just similar to what you were talking about before in terms of suppression and. Well, maybe it'll become clearer as we go through. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah, go on. As for the distinctive time frame involved, initially the four steps of patient acceptance that brings an understanding of the four truths takes place simultaneously, subsequently. So there's four stages four steps uh, in, in each step there's four aspects of the noble truths that are uh, processed let's say then you have the four steps of the understanding itself that takes place simultaneously then the four steps of the patient acceptance that brings subsequent understanding and then the four steps of the subsequent understanding itself so these terms patient acceptance and subsequent understanding very uh, obscure terms, very uh, secretive terms. Then the force, let's see. The four steps involved in accomplishing the goal take place as essentially four steps with 16 aspects because the four steps each of acceptance and understanding take place in succession resulting in a thorough and simultaneously simultaneous understanding of the four truths. The distinctive realization through direct experience is that of the non-existence of both kinds of identity and comes about as a result of sublime knowing that transcends any mundane context. Furthermore, the basic space of phenomena, Dharmadhatu is omnipresent, it permeates everyone, oneself and others. With this distinctive realization, one's understanding of bodhicitta is based on the equalness of oneself and others. Bodhicitta, suddenly. The distinctive qualities which are quite inconceivable to the ordinary mind include the 12 capabilities that involve 100 functions manifesting in a single instant, as well as deep levels of insight, sublime states of perception, and the ability to jump over tall buildings. Through the 12 capabilities, one is able in a single instant to encounter 100 Buddhas directly. Uh, to be aware of being blessed by 100 Buddhas, to send forth 100 emanations, to extend an instant for 100 aeons, to extend one's timeless awareness over 100 previous and future lifetimes, and to enter into the rise out of 100 states of absorption, bring 100 ordinary beings to spiritual maturity, to cause 100 realms to quake, fill 100 pure realms with light, gain access to 100 avenues of spiritual teachings, multiply one's own body hundredfold, gather a magnificent retinue, 100 strong, and to find parking 100 days in a row. One who dwells in this level is able to take rebirth as a ruler over the human realm. That's like what everybody says nowadays, 100%. Right. But if 101, then you need to... That's 100%. Uh, 100 Dalmatians, maybe. The uh, path of meditation. Finally, we made it, made it to meditation. Maybe he'll talk about meditation here. That would be cool. <laughs> Hasn't really mentioned that much. Uh, this fourth Sorry, which, which boomy does the path of meditation start on? Two. 
Two. Booming. And extends through which boomy, folks? Ten. Thank you. Or thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> so it has two aspects: the foundation, its nature. The physical foundation is that of a rebirth as a man or a woman in one of the three continents in the human realm, or uh, leaving out the northern continent, they're screwed. They, they, they're like out of the picture. Um, in the human realm or as a god in the realms of desire or form. However, there's other possibilities as in this. The mental foundation is the fourth state, again, of mental stability. The nature of this path is discussed in relation to three things, cause, result, essence, cause, and three preceding paths. Result is the subsequent path, and the essence can be examined from four points of view as before. Characteristics, the mind and path from the second spiritual level up to the very threshold of enlightenment is the basis for what can be characterized and appropriately designated the mind and path of meditation. Its characteristics are any positive factors included in the Mahayana that occur after the path of seeing and before no more learning. <laughs> Love the way he delineates these. Uh, what is being characterized consists of the positive factors that are considered auxiliary to the Ten, ten spiritual levels. What the ten spiritual levels are by nature. If we analyze it, we find it as nine degrees, three in each of the three phases: intermediate, uh, initial, intermediate, final. To elaborate, the weak degree of the initial phase of this path is the second spiritual level, the flawless one. The transcendent perfection is discipline. And he quotes from the Mahayana Sutra Lankara, because there's freedom from the flaws of immoral behavior. One is, it is called the spiritual level of the flawless one. The moderate degree of the initial phase of the third level of illuminating one, transcendent perfection is patience, because it causes a great manifestation is the spiritual level of the illuminating one. The strong degree of the initial phase is the fourth level, the radiant, Transcendent perfection is diligence, thus the factors conducive to enlightenment are like the light of a blazing fire because it is endowed with these. This spiritual level consumes the two kinds of obscuration, and so it is called the level of the radiant one. The weak degree of the intermediate is the fifth spiritual level called one who is trained in what is difficult. Beings are brought to complete spiritual maturity, and one's own mind, moreover, is protected as difficult for even intelligent people to attain. That's why it's called a difficult to, to obtain. Therefore, it is described as the spiritual level of one who is trained in what is difficult. The moderate degree of the intermediate phase, the sixth level, one that makes one who makes evident. The uh, paramita is prajna, sublime knowing. By one's reliance on the transcendent path, perfection rather of sublime knowing, the nature of both samsara and nirvana is made evident on this level, and so it's called the level of one who makes evident. The strong degree of the intermediate is the seventh, the far reaching. Perfection of skillful means because it is connected with a path that has a single destination. It's held to be the spiritual level of a far reaching one. And uh, let's skip in that next quote. The weak degree of the final phase is the eighth, the immovable, the paramita spiritual strength. Because it is not moved by the two kinds of conceptualization. 
it's held to be the spiritual level of the immovable. Moderate degree of the final phase is, uh, which is the transcendent perfection of aspiration in its entirety is termed that of the highly intelligent one, uh, ninth Bhumi. Noble intelligence is one of authentic discerning awareness. The spiritual level is that of the highly intelligent one. And the paramita is aspiration. Strong degree of the final phase of the 10th level, the clouds of Dharma, the paramita's timeless awareness, shnana, because the realm of space is pervaded by two aspects that are like clouds. This is the spiritual level of the clouds of Dharma. Two clouds being meditative absorption and complete recall pervade the sky, those to be guided and ensure benefit by letting fall a rain of spiritual teachings. The state is similar to that of a Tathagata. And uh, this conduct of these bodhisattvas in the post-meditation phase is equal to that of the Tathagatas in terms of truly freeing beings in the world. Like to, uh, Maitreya is on the tenth Bhumi, apparently. A statement like this can be made because of the similarity in the ways Buddhists and Bodhisattvas carry out enlightened activity. However, what is done and how it is done by Buddha is, of course, superior. Giving the quote, thus the nine levels of the path of meditation are differentiated by the nine ways in which their qualities arise, which are related to the nine degrees which antidotes are applied to remove the obscuration specific to the level in question. Distinctive features, there are five acid distinctive antidotes employed with respect to the process whereby distortions are eliminated on these nine spiritual levels. There are the process of preparation, the process without obstacles, which are the antidotes that involve elimination. Then the process of complete freedom is the antidote that provides support, and the process of distinctive features is the antidote that, dis that distances one from distortions. Let's note any good. Yeah, so on 444, note 235, towards the bottom, the process of preparation. So he goes through these five processes, which is really obscure. I'd never seen this before. The process of preparation involves suppression that weakens the factors to be eliminated. process without obstacles takes place when the factors to be eliminated encounter their antidotes. process of complete freedom takes place when the antidotes eliminate the afflicted states. process of distinctive features ensures that the possible reoccurrence of these states becomes increasingly remote when an effort is made to attain the next highest spiritual level. And here the term refers to the path of meditation as a developmental process in which one attains higher and higher spiritual levels. Anyway. Back to page 207, just after footnote 235. In this context, the term process of preparation refers to the specific causes that precede the removal on a given level of factors to be eliminated, the obvious hindrances on that level. Once a level has been initiated, the term process without obstacles refers to the actual elimination of the potential for distortion specific to the level. And then the term process of complete freedom refers to the main experiences of the levels which begins with the second step of each 
The term process of distinctive features refers to the progress to the next level once one has acquired distinctive qualities in the wake of having attained the preceding level. The distinctive elimination that takes place after the complete removal of the factors to be eliminated by the scene is the removal of the obvious factors to be eliminated on the path of meditation that are specific to the level and, initi and the initiation of the removal of subtler factors. Essentially, two things are eliminated, instinctive afflictive obscurations and uh, cognitive obscurations. So instinctive uh, afflictive obscurations are obscurations that you're born with, that are inherent, that are natural to your nature by virtue of being a, a being that has uh, it can rebirth in samsara. Um, as opposed to usually the alternative type of obscuration is acquired, as opposed to instinctive. Acquired are things that we acquire, uh, that we develop in a particular lifetime due to propensities of time, place, culture, uh, environment, people who, who we associate with. We, we take up little uh, bad habits from the people around us. But the instinctive ones we're born with. And then there's the cognitive obscurations to be eliminated. And we thought we eliminated those earlier, but there's some part of them that we didn't eliminate, which we'll see. These obscurations can be categorized in four ways. If they're analyzed from the standpoint of what they are in essence, there are six desire, anger, pride, ignorance, belief in the reality of the perishable aggregates and belief in an ide ideological extreme such as uh, permanence or, or nihilism, maternalism and nihilism. If these six are uh, analyzed with respect to the realms of ordinary existence, all six pertain to the realm of desire and five pertain to each of the two higher realms with anger being absent, making additional 10 factors. Thus, there are all in all 16 factors to be analyzed. So then he goes through a rather laborious and complicated numerological scheme for all these different factors that results uh, in a total of 414 factors. I'm going to skip if that's okay with you guys. Um, he does name the nine states of conditioned existence uh, in the second full paragraph, the second sentence, just to see what these are that he that we've been talking about. There, there are nine states of conditioned existence: the realm of desire, the first, second, third, and fourth states of meditative stability. They couldn't really come up with better names for them. And the formless states: those of infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness and the pinnacle of conditioned existence, which is usually called neither perception nor non-perception. Each of these nine states is a group of nine degrees, making 81 factors, and so on and so forth, etc. Skipping to the next paragraph, regarding the distinctive qualities, the 12 capabilities of the first spiritual level, which involve 100 functions each, manifest on the second level, but increase to 1,000 functions each and every moment. So here he goes to another numerological extrapolation where each uh, different boomy adds another 
thousandfold or something magical qualities of superhero-ness. And when they're eliminated, you can go, Phew. That's right. Totally. Yeah. Job well done. <laughs> and, uh, make yourself a drink and put your feet up and relax. Take a nap. Uh, let's see. So the last one of this numerological scheme at the very bottom of 208, three lines up on the right says, on the 10th level, one can demonstrate these qualities with as many functions as their atoms in one septillion. <laughs> um, indescribable, but, but realms as well. Uh, one can simultaneously manifest Buddha realms clearly in every pore and ensure benefit for ordinary beings through activities such as the 12 enlightened deeds. Qualities like these are perceived as though they were new, but they're not something created that was not there before. Rather, they become apparent upon the elimination of obscurations that overlie one's fundamental beings. So these qualities have been there all the time in all of us. This is because such qualities and countless others as well are timelessly and spontaneously present and manifest in a person as that person's newly awakening perception of this fundamental being becomes more and more purified. It's also the distinctive feature of taking rebirth in a body. One dwelling in the second spiritual level is able to take rebirth as a universal monarch ruling over the four worlds, uh, the human realm. And uh, this gets better and better as you go up the scheme. Then the next paragraph, he says, well, the fact that bodhisattvas are able to take rebirth as rulers of all these realms does not actually mean that they will take such a rebirth. Nor are all those who take rebirth, rebirth as rulers of those realms necessarily, bodhis necessarily bodhisattvas dwelling on those levels said that some of these rulers may be ordinary beings who have accrued an enormous amount of merit, while others may be emanations of Tathagatas appearing in those realms to ensure the welfare of beings. Sort of odd to think of a ruler of like a thousand world realms. How would you exert yourself over those world realms? Is there somebody who's ruling over this world as well as 999 other world realms that we're affiliated with? I think it may be Brent, but don't tell anyone. Furthermore, although power of a lifespan is attained from the first level onward, a bodhisattva may demonstrate birth and death should it be of benefit to beings to do so. Bodhisattva may demonstrate birth and death should it be of benefit to beings to do so, even though such bodhisattvas no longer experience birth and death in their own right. So they don't need to die and be reborn. They only do it just to uh, teach other beings. On the next page, quote, spiritually advanced beings have thoroughly eliminated the suffering of death, illness, aging, rebirth takes place because of karma and afflictive states, but since such beings are not subject to these two obscurations, they're not subject to what they create, because they perceive what is authentic, just as it is, they've transcended birth and so forth. Nevertheless, these embodiments of compassion pretend to take birth and so forth. 
get old, sick, and die. Path of no more learning. The fifth path, that of no more learning, has two aspects, foundation and nature. The foundation is twofold. As to the physical foundation, according to the ordinary interpretation, one's attainment of Buddhahood involves being born in the social class of political or religious leaders in this human world of Jamba Dweepa. According to the extraordinary interpretation, however, this foundation consists of whatever circumstances serve as the basis for awakening to Buddhahood in the realm of Akhanishta. Subsequently, when emanations appear in the various realms of ordinary beings, Again, this foundation consists of whatever circumstances serve as the basis for manifestation as a Buddha in those realms. So the old tradition held that you had to be a ruler or a, a political or religious leader. And uh, the later tradition holds that whatever, whatever works, whatever is helpful for the situation, serves as the basis for manifestation as a Buddha. The mental foundation is state of mental meditative stability. Nature of the path, which is not a path, is cause-result and essence causes consummation of the twofold spiritual development on the four preceding paths involve learning twofold self and other. Its result is that all ordinary beings are brought to one of the three degrees of enlightenment Travaka, Pratyeka, Buddha, and Buddha through magnificent enlightened activity. What it is, in essence, can be examined from the usual four points of view. Characteristics, the three kayas together with timeless awareness are the basis for what can be characterized as and is appropriately designated the Mahayana path of no more learning. It goes through a quite interesting presentation of the kayas. This refers to the positive factors that are the consummation of the processes of elimination and realization according to the Mahayana. So uh, Buddhahood has these two qualities, eliminating obscurations, and uh, here he says realization. It's, it's usually translated as uh, blossoming or bringing forth the qualities of Buddhahood. What is characterized? The path of no more learning refers to the level of Buddhahood with its ten attributes that require no more learning, five incorruptible aggregates, and six transcendent perfections can be analyzed as three under three headings the kayas as supporting factors timeless awareness as what is supported by those supporting factors and the deeds that constitute enlightened activity the kayas the dharmakaya is by nature the non-dual unity of basic space and timeless awareness the unity of space and awareness is that what we do when we meditate? We're trying to blend mind with space, mixing mind with space. So we're trying to achieve the Dharmakaya from the first meditation session onward. How's sure, that, why not? How's that, how's that going for you? <laughs> it's already there, right? It was there before you started. That's right. <laughs> It comes and it goes. Space-like state that is the consummation of realization. Skipping the quote, both quotes. If we analyze Dharmakaya, we find it has two aspects. 
space and awareness. The term Swabhavakakaya refers to the aspect of basic space, emptiness as the unity of purity and equality, equalness, serving as the true nature of the kayas. What is termed realization as jnana dharmakaya is posited to be timeless awareness as a consummation of the process of elimination and realization that is the essence of awareness comprising 21 categories because that which is the timeless awareness of buddhahood has become evident as a consummate unity of basic space and awareness regarding the first aspect the uh, Swabhavakakaya the, the, the of the sages, the attainment of whatever attributes are incorruptible. It's totally pure in every way and by nature is characterized by these attributes. So Swabhavakakaya is the ultimate purity and equality, quality of Buddhahood, of Buddha nature, of reality. As for the state of realization as jnana, awareness, dharmakaya, by delineating the aspects of awareness in the fully evident state of timeless awareness that is one's fundamental being, we have arrived, we arrive at some 37 factors that contribute to enlightenment as well as other attributes. According to the same source ornament to manifest realization, dharmakaya is described as the embodiment of factors that contribute to enlightenment measurable attitudes, aspects of liberation, nine successive states of meditative equipoise, the embodiment of ten states of total immersion, the fields of experience that overwhelm ordinary perception, the absence of afflictive states, wisdom arising from aspiration, supernormal cognitive factors, states of authentic discernment, four aspects of absolute purity, ten powers, ten strengths, four states of fearlessness, three factors that need not be guarded, three bases of mindfulness, nature that is not neglected and full of beings, authentic victory over habit patterns, supreme and innate compassion for beings, all qualities were unique to the sage, which are explained to be 18, and struggle, omniscience itself. Derek? Yes, ma'am. So, are these basically the 37 dharmas or practices that have been no. we've been going through throughout all the the different paths? No, these are totally different. They just like the number 37 so they make things add 37. <laughs> is that no oh, really? Yeah, really. This is totally different. Uh, so oh. the, the footnote is on the bottom of 445 and it goes over onto 446 and you can see what all these categories are. Hmm. Anything interesting here? Well, then they refer you to sections one and two. <laughs> Which is back, way back. So that's the the Shravaka Yana. And okay, then we have let's see the ten strengths and the four states of fearlessness. See the enumerations at the end of the chapter. Damn. 
three bases of mindfulness. Mindfulness that entails a lack of attachment to those who treat one with respect, a lack of aversion to those who treat one with disrespect, and a lack of apathy towards those who treat one with indifference. A lot of lists. Mm. Really a heyday for lists today. Special. 213. Furthermore, in the context of the essence of being itself, sky-like basic space, realization, timeless awareness shines like the sun, causing adventitious obscurations to disperse like clouds. Uh, skipping the quote. Moreover, its nature is inconceivable to the ordinary mind. Skipping the quote. In short, although it manifests on the strength of distortions being eliminated, is not newly compounded. The same source comments on this and similar. Uncompounded, spontaneously present, and is not realized through the agency of anyone or anything else. It is endowed with wisdom, love, and energy. This is Buddhahood itself, which embodies the two kinds of benefit. Sam Bogakaya as the manifest aspect of the way of abiding that is the ground to being is the perfection of all qualities of enlightenment without exception this perfection is defined by the fact that what pertains to samsara that is the basis of all ordinary experience and its eight attendant avenues of consciousness has subsided within basic space <laughs> this ever-present kaya endowed with five certainties is like a precious gem, but not in the sense that it is something, some multicolored thing, material and durable, though impermanent. Nor is it is its empty nature such that it is incapable of manifesting in any way at all. It's like a gem in that it provides all that is wished for. It is like a rainbow in that it appears it has no essence and abides as awareness, timeless awareness. Skipping the quote, the five certainties are as follows. This famous scheme for the Samogakaya is the five certainties. And then we're going to have the five uh, families. It is certain that the environment is Akanishta Ganavyuha, the Akanishta Buddha field. That's where all the Sambhogakayas hang out. You can't find any of them anywhere else. It's certain that the retinue consists of bodhisattvas on the 10th spiritual level. They're the only ones that ever perceive Sambhogakaya Buddhas as well as, except for the Buddhas themselves, see the Sambhogakaya uh, Buddhas. Nobody else sees the Sambhogakaya. Sorry. Um, it is certain that the teaching is entirely that of the Mahayana. No other teachings happen there. Sorry. Need not apply. It is certain that the teacher is Vairochana. He's the man. He's the dude. Nobody else is allowed to teach there. And it is but, but we can write about it. It's <laughs> certain that the occasion is the continuum of the eternal present. It's always now. Quote from the Ornament of Manifest Realization, this embodiment of the 32 major marks and 80 minor marks of perfect form thoroughly enjoys the wealth of the Mahayana, so is held. The, the uh, Samogakaya of the Sages, excuse me, 
in the commentary on this text, we read the very essence of the 32 major and 80 minor marks. A perfect form lies in a thorough appreciation of the richness of the teachings of the Mahayana. An experience of utterly impeccable joy and bliss that one enjoys in union with great bodhisattvas of the 10th spiritual level. This is the Sambhogakai of the transcendent, accomplished, and victorious Buddhas. Ganesha is the environment in which Buddha is initially awakened to, uh, to uh, actual enlightenment. If you remember back to like chapter one, the view of the Buddha is his life and enlightenment. The, the uh, inner story is that they all go to Akanishta to be enlightened, and they pretend to get enlightened down here. Skipping the quote, that is, Buddha's awakened in the environment of Ganavyuha, which transcends the three realms. So Buddha fields are outside of the three realms. Exactly where is this, you might wonder. Just as one cannot determine where one goes in a dream and pinpoint it in as uh, uh, has one specific place. That alone, so Gunnaview is found wherever there is freedom from absolutely all obscurations. In basic space, space blends with timeless awareness. So it's wherever realization is, that's where Gunnaview is. There's no place like home. Uh, let's see, a couple of quotes. On this note, on this note, the high sea, I guess. Shakyamuni is considered to have awakened to Buddha in the beginningless past in the realm of Akanishta, however, in carrying out enlightened deeds to ensure benefit for beings after the formation of this universe of sorrow, which is what this universe is called. It's called a sorrowful, sorrowful, or hard to endure universe in Sanskrit, Saha. Shakyamuni seemed, in light of the differing perceptions and inclinations of individual beings, to awaken to Buddhahood initially in Akanishtha in the realm of form. So there's two Akanishtas, one Buddha realm outside of the whole three realms, if you remember this from early on, and the other one in the realm of form. So he, he uh, displayed as if he was getting enlightenment in the Akanishtha in the realm of form and uh, bringing harmony among the gods after which he is said to have manifested as someone awakening to Buddhahood at Vajrasana, which is both Gaya, in this human world. Skipping the quote, in this case, Akanisha is held to refer not to the state beyond that of the Sudarshana gods in the realm of form and everything below that, but to, to the transcendent state in which no further process of elimination is needed. verification of this type of Akanishta in the realm of form. Let's see, skipping the quote, the Surdi of the retinue means that Sabogakai is surrounded by bodhisattvas of the first to ten spiritual levels. Here he says the first to the ten. Wait a second. On the tenth spiritual level, really? Uh, from the quote, let's see, the Supreme Sabogakai, the transcendent accomplished conquerors, is completely surrounded by an inconceivable number of great courageous bodhisattvas dwelling on the tenth spiritual level. I think we have a problem, Houston. Anyway, we'll keep you up tonight, I hope. Uh, let's see. 
certainty of teachings is that the turning of the wheel of Dharma takes place through the mind. A teaching is exclusively, skipping the quotes, the certainty of the teacher is that it is always the glorious Varuchana. And by implication, wherever there's wherever there's Varuchana, there is Sakshavya, Rana Sambhava, Amitabha, and Amoga City. Their forms radiant with the 32 major and 80 minor marks of perfect form. And then we have the lists of the 32 major and 80 minor marks. I don't know if I should read these. They're a little bit risque or I don't know. Um, what, what, I don't really understand why they came up with that this scheme. Does anybody else understand? You're not alone. <laughs> Very bizarre scheme. scheme. Uh, tell me, what was your favorite quality? <laughs> His body is symmetrical as a banyan tree. He has an ushnisha. He has a big pimple on the top of his head, a big bump comes out of the top of his head. His fingers and toes are webbed. <laughs> He's like a freaking alien. He's like from some other planet, right? But it says webbed it's with like, pipes, uh, so, which is not necessarily the same as what we might imagine of webbed, is it? Uh, no, usually it's just said. Usually it's just described as web. I've never seen it said oh. webbed with lights. Oh, with what it says here, so that might mean it's like every finger and toe has an aura, right? His body hair grows upwards. It's it's amazing to me. It's like a dollar tree, you know? It's, yes, it's, uh, that's what it is. It's so cool. It's really I, bizarre. So bizarre. He has forty teeth. How many teeth do normal humans have? I'm not a dentist, but I know they count them. <laughs> Come on, I think it's like 20, 25 20 or 24. Yeah, yeah 24. It's close to the alphabet. Yeah, something yeah. like that. No way. Oh, come yeah. on. Guys. 24, isn't it? How many teeth do we have? 32. There you go. Silly, so much for your alphabet. Jeez. <laughs> uh, let's see. He's got 48. Minus four wisdom. Teeth. Eight extra teeth. Four on the top, four on the bottom, two on in each place. Wow. Uh, he's, uh, and he has eyelashes like those of the finest cow. <laughs> he has perfect cow eyes. Imagine that as a compliment. I love that. I think we saw that somewhere else, didn't we? And anything else in the 32 that's worth? Uh, each body hair is well-defined and curls clockwise. He has a tiny coil of hair at the midbrow, right between the three, the two eyes. He's got a little coil of hair. And uh, he's got a long tongue, <laughs> a mellifluous voice, mellifluous voice. And 80 minor. His nails are bright red. <laughs> Glossy and rounded. Veins are inconspicuous. He doesn't have any varicose veins. Um, his ankle joints are inconspicuous. <laughs> He's got a gait of a lion, elephant, bird, and a bull, whatever the hell that means. Um, it tends to the right. He sort of 
favors the right. <laughs> where you know, like somebody should figure out where these things come from. It's so bizarre. Uh, seek that is well-rounded, smooth as though polished and well-proportioned, clean, soft, and pure. A large, noble body structure, perfectly eyes, unimpaired, robust, and very firm and solid. Clear, unobscured vision, a belly that is perfect, a navel that is deep and to the right. Anyway, sorry to bother you. Okay. Lips as red as a bimba fruit. It's got lipstick on. <laughs> Are you making that up? Oh, it's there. Where is it? Oh, I see it. <laughs> and eye teeth that are cylindrical. Whoa. He even smells well. It smells good. Pupils with the luster of lotus petals. Eyebrows long, soft, glossy, made up of hairs of equal length. Hairs as black as a bumblebee. As well as the adorning marks of an endless knot and an auspicious swastika. Those are apparently on his hands and feet. Okay. Certainty of the time frame. Moving right along. Is that a Samboga Kaya is ever present and inconceivable to the ordinary mind? Skipping the quote, there are reasons for this ever present quality because Samboga Kaya itself is identical in essence to Dharma Kaya and so inseparable from it. Like Dharma Kaya, it is not subject to any transition or change. It is thus timeless, spontaneously present, and uncompounded. It manifests owing to the immeasurable merit of those to be guided which is produced for as long as samsara continues. Uh, let's see. Oh, we might be able to make it in a few more minutes. Nirmanakaya never wavers from the basic spaces of Bogakaya or the embrace of Dharmakaya. It appears in various ways in the perceptions of beings to be guided for as long as conditioned existence continues, guiding them in whatever way is necessary. This is termed its eternal presence on a vast scale. Skipping the quote, if there are beings to be guided, the Nirmanakaya is present, whereas if they're not, it doesn't appear. Therefore, it is like the reflection of the moon where, is there, where there is water. Although a Buddha may be present, if someone has not developed a positive connection with that Buddha, the situation is like that of a spoiled seed that cannot grow. Skipping the quotes. The quote, there's three kinds of emanations, three kinds of nirmanakayas. This is really cool. Quote, there are emanations through artistry, conscious rebirth, and similarly in expressions, as expressions of sublime enlightenment, the Nirmanakaya Buddhahood is the supremely skillful means of total freedom. Specifically, emanations through artistry include castings, drawings, paintings, books, and so forth, because they all foster what is positive in ordinary beings. Emanations through conscious rebirth are those who emanate as noble individuals and others who protect beings from illness, famine, and so on. Emanations as expressions of sublime enlightenment guide beings by enacting the 12 great deeds and other means. Skipping the quote. Furthermore, the Rupakayas abide within, sorry, the Rupakayas, meaning the Sambhogakaya and Nirmanakaya, abide within Dharmakaya. Such as Buddhahood, 
the transcendent accomplished in Victoria's state, the attainment of the three Kayas. Let's see. Skipping the first quote, the ornament of the sutra says, once you know that the Kaya Buddhahood comprises three Kayas, its nature is a mode Kaya, therefore, furthermore, Nimanakaya, the three Kayas demonstrate the significance of this nature and what it supports. And this concludes my discussion on the Kayas and supporting factors. Next week, we'll continue on 221 Timeless Awareness as that which is supported. What do you make of that? <laughs> what, a, what an incredible like encyclopedia of stuff that he's compiled here it's pretty amazing at the same time pretty strange a, a lot of this stuff and you can uh, it's, uh, sort of interesting to see how much of the traditional presentation of Buddhism is not familiar to most Buddhists. Interestingly, shall we dedicate uh, the merit generated by reviewing the list of major and minor marks without making fun of them at all? By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy ways of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara. May I free all beings by the confidence of the golden son of the great east. May the lotus garden of the victim's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Au revoir, au revoir. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hope you're well. So we're meeting next week? Yeah, next time, at uh, the usual time and place. Are we going to have our part, a party next week? Yes, bring, you know, bring stuff to drink and, and eat and offer uh, poems. How's that? You, uh, your homework is to, like, write a poem on the 32 major and 80 minor. <laughs> or draw, have a draw picture. <laughs> A picture of the creature. <laughs> it's even better. <laughs> okay, thank you guys. Nice to see you. Take care. Bye. Good night. <laughs>